Depending on how you ride and the terrain you're riding, if you're running street pressures, then you may be working too hard or maybe even possibly feeling downright miserable as you bounce off everything and wonder why your motorcycle is so difficult to control, while maybe others that are riding with you are having no trouble at all and having the time of their lives. Your tire pressure may also be the difference in you getting through or maybe out of a situation or not. But if you run too low a pressure, you may be paying an expensive bill for a new rim. Now, how do you know what pressure to run? Well, today on our exclusive Rider Skills program, we are very pleased to have two top trainers that are going to help you through and maybe help you figure out the optimum tire pressure for your bike, riding style, load, and terrain. We're going to talk with Bill Dragoo from Dart Adventures, that's Dragoo Adventure Rider Training, and Chris Birch from Say No to Slow both with great information on getting your tire pressure thing just right. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Payne. Bill Bragu. Helga Pedersen. Jason Snow. Charlie Bowman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. I'm Graham Jarvis and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Racers obsess over tire pressure, which in one way could seem strange. They're all on the same track, same conditions, similar bikes. So why all the fuss? I mean, why wouldn't the track just have a chart and post the tire pressure for the day according to the track conditions and have everyone run the same pressure? Well, it turns out that how we ride is affected by our tire pressure. So add to that varied terrain, varied load, and suddenly it becomes obvious why a predetermined pressure, like for instance, maybe someone else has posted on the internet or maybe copying your buddy's tire pressures doesn't work. So now you're probably throwing your hands up and saying, great, now how am I going to figure this out? Well, that's what we're going to do today. We have two top trainers to help us with this. We're going to start with Chris Birch. Chris has ridden motorcycles since he was a boy. He began racing early. He's accomplished a huge list of wins, like the New Zealand Enduro Championship eight times, three times the Roof of Africa, on the podium seven times at the Red Bull Romaniacs, and loads of others. And he's been in partnership with KTM since 2007 and is renowned for what he can do with a large adventure motorcycle. He runs his own rider training school. Chris, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. 
Thank you very much. Good to be here. You just got back from a, a big adventure. Yeah, yeah. So I've been uh, very fortunate. Uh, I've actually just come back from America. So I've spent uh, the first time doing uh, writing schools in America. So we spent uh, two months, a uh, whole bunch of time in, in Georgia, doing schools out of uh, KTM World there. And then a whole bunch of time in Utah as well, doing schools uh, uh, just sort of south of, of Moab. And uh, yeah, got to see the KTM Adventure Rally uh, in Idaho there as well. And lots of uh, adventure riding uh, in between. And yeah, it's been really, really good sort of getting a, a good taste of, of American adventure riding. And yeah, it's opened up a can of worms for me now. What do you mean by that? It's made me realize why so much of the uh, adventure bike industry, um, you know, all the content uh, and so much of the adventure bike scene is focused around around America. The, the riding is just insane. Oh, just I so see. much riding. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw some of your posts. It looked like, do you call that a, a working vacation or is, is your sort of job like a working vacation? Um, it's probably one of those, you know, Instagram versus reality sort of things. Um, <laughs> it was pretty worky. Uh you know, we, we taught a hundred people in two months. So oh, wow. that was, yeah, we, there was, it's one of the things, it, there was a lot of work, but the work is pretty good. Like, you know, the job is meet new people, make, teach them a whole bunch of stuff and make them more stoked about riding their motorbikes, you know, yeah. what a, a fantastic way to earn a living. But, you know, you're also, you know, you're in charge of 15 people, you know, every couple of days and there's, there was two of us working on it together, so there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of energy expended. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. How do you know if it's a success? What what is a successful trip for you as far as our or tour for you? Uh, we get we had hundred uh, percent positive feedback from all our students. Uh, like uh, guys, just really happy. Um, as soon as we got home, we're already getting barrages of emails asking when the next schools are, when we're coming back. Oh, wow. um, no injuries is a really big measure as well. Like I. You know, don't ever want to see people getting hurt in our schools. So that, mm-hmm. that's a really big uh, sort of data point as well as to how good a job we've done. But yeah, yeah. The, the big thing is, are people happy at the end of it? Yeah, 100% feedback. You couldn't do any better than that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Jeez, that's, that is pretty darn good. I'll tell you, that is, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, now that you're back, now what do you do? Um, chill out, spend some time with the family. Uh, yeah, uh, catch up on some family time. And because I'm an idiot, I'm doing New Zealand's hardest uh, enduro race this weekend as well. So <laughs> I gotta give uh, my bike prep for that today. Wow, that does sound like fun. Now I saw a video of you riding a mountain bike. What was that all about? Ah, uh, yeah, that, that's my other my other big uh, big passion in life. Um, so yeah, I got. I think the video you're talking about was, uh, was e-bikes. riding some e-bikes. Yeah. yeah, riding e-bikes for Gas Gas in, in the Pyrenees. Um, so that was when I was, uh, so previous to, uh, to my American trip, I was in, in Europe based out of Spain for, uh, for three months with the, with the whole family mm. and, uh, yeah, got the opportunity to do a, a two day e-bike trip crossing the, the Pyrenees uh, mountains with uh, gas, gas e-bikes. So yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. <laughs> I kind of expected when I saw the video come up, I, I, I thought, well, I was going to see you doing something that you're uncomfortable in, you know, like that you're going to be riding this, this, uh, bicycle and it's not your thing. That's what I thought <laughs> until I saw you ride. And then I realized you're actually a really good rider. I mean, from an amateur point of view, I, I don't know what the pros would say. Oh, thank you. But, um, so, yeah. so is that just because you're doing this as a, like a cross training thing or you said your other passion? Uh, no, it's not, mountain biking. Something I've, I've really, really loved my whole life. I actually, yeah, 
I at one point gave up. Oh, I was going to quit uh, riding motorbikes uh, just to go mountain biking. I was a bit uh, despondent with, with motorbike riding. And uh, I had all my everything all for sale already to, to sort of give up on motorbike riding and then uh, and had a change of change of mind when I discovered uh, Red Bull Romaniacs. But no, I've always, always loved riding mountain bikes. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, you're out in the mountains. It's really social. It's like, it's it's a much more social sport than uh, the motorbike riding. So I enjoy that side of it. Mm, well, more social because there's not the noise, you mean? And you're actually able to talk all the time? You're stopping and talking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. just talking rubbish with your mates the whole time and... Yeah, wow. it's, uh, it's not like you'll save any money going into riding bikes, mountain bikes, though. No, not really. <laughs> like the price <laughs> of a mountain bike, I, it just it blows my mind. I, I'm looking at some of them online. There, you know, six nine thousand dollars for for these higher end bikes, and there's no engines. Like it's just, I, I don't get it. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know. It's probably getting a bit off topic, but we've we've sort of dived quite deep into the differences and why a high end mountain bike costs so much money and. You know, it's it's a completely different um, sort of sales model. So, say you go and buy a, a brand new KTM motorcycle, right? Mm-hmm. Like, whether you like it or not, you're basically signing up for a parts contract for a, a maintenance contract. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean because you're going to have to fix it, right? Yeah, pretty much every time you ride it, something's going to wear out. You know, you're going to have to, especially you know, enduro riding that sort of thing. You know, you're always bending and sure. breaking bits and pieces. Yeah. And you, in the motorcycle industry, you go back to KTM, Yamaha, Husqvarna, BMW, whoever it is, and you buy those parts from them. Uh, whereas in the bicycle industry, you don't. So, for example, my, my fancy mountain bike, my Yeti, costs about as much as a KTM. But that's the only money I've ever given that company. And I've had the bike for seven years. The only other contact I've had with Yeti was a warranty swing arm and a warranty swing arm pivot. Yeah, but to be fair, I know we're going to go down a road here, but but to be fair, yeah, yeah. the only thing that manufacturer makes on that is the frame. All, I mean, all the parts, as far as I know, and I'm, I'm just talking in generalities here with bicycle manufacturers, all they really make is the frame. All the parts are bought from other companies, Shimano. Or, yeah, and that, that's the mistake. That's the issue. Um, so On their it, part. So, yeah, yeah. So you think like Yeti, uh, they've had to make, they've had to market that bike, develop it, um, you know, sell it to me, warranty the bits and pieces all off one one single transaction and stay in business, right? Mm. Whereas yeah. KTM, uh, if I had mentioned if I had a seven-year-old KTM, how much money I would have given KTM over those seven years because I can't just go down the road and buy a new piston or whatever it is from, the, you know, the from Shimano, from SRAM, that sort of thing. So it's a very, very different sales model. No, that's yeah. a really, and really it's, good point. Yeah, in some ways you could argue it's not that the um, the mountain bikes are too expensive, it's that the motorbikes are too cheap and they know that they're going to keep taking money off you for the duration of that motorcycle. Hmm. Good argument, but I'm not completely buying it. I'm going to have to think about yeah, that for yeah. a while. But, uh, but I Don't like get that. me wrong, it's, it still hurts when I look at it and go, 10 grand? Really? Come on, man. <laughs> well, it, just, it almost gets unaffordable. I mean, if you want to get it, because I'm thinking cross-training, it's one of the reasons I brought that up because I was thinking, um, I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, how, how good of a cross-training thing is mountain biking to motorcycling? And I suspect it's quite good, but it's expensive Absolutely. to get into as well. So, I mean, but anyway, answer yeah. that question with it. But you don't need the $10,000 bike. You really don't. No, you don't need a 10000 But if you want a full suspension bike, you're starting at, what, 3000 bucks, 2000 Yeah, $3, about three grand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable, really. I mean. But what about that, anyways, as far as, as far as training for adventure motorcycling to the bicycle? 
Uh, it's great. I mean, the big thing is it's it's more time on the trail. It's more time off road on two wheels. You know, there's obviously that the health and the fitness side of it. That's you know that's obvious. Mm-hmm. But it's you know it's more time selecting lines. It's more time seeing trails. It's more you know just more time in a similar mind space. Um, yeah, it's it's hugely beneficial. And you have such a, a closer, almost like a, a closer interface with the ground, hopefully not too close, <laughs> but like you can really feel the ground under your tires on a bicycle. So you kind of, it makes you, it teaches you where traction is. It teaches you how to hold your momentum and get through sections. I think it, yeah, my mountain bike riding for me, I, I find it really benefits my motorbike riding and technique as much as fitness. I watched you on that video. I tried to watch fairly carefully. There was only only a certain amount of shots where I could see it, but it looked to me like you were still doing weight transfers. You were still doing a lot of the things, and I find this too when I ride my mountain bike, you were doing a lot of the things that you do on the motorcycle, only more exaggerated. Yeah, and it was interesting doing that because that, that was my first ride on an e-bike for, other than just playing around in a car park a couple of times. But looking at some of those obstacles, like, right, how do I ride this? Do I ride it like a moto? Do I ride it like a trials bike? Do I ride it like a mountain bike? Ah, none mm. of those techniques work. Okay. <laughs> to try and, you know, again, you want to talk about expensive hobbies to get into. Uh, the, the e-bike jacks it up yeah. <laughs> incredibly fast. And what are you doing? But, are you applying power as you ride? Um, it's all pedal assist, right? So depending oh, on I what see. mode you have, uh, you're basically using your cranks, your pedals as the throttle sort of thing. So depending on what mode is, how much extra assistance you get. That explains that massive mountain you climbed in that video and you looked totally unflushed at the top. uh, No, there's another story behind that. Um, So most e-bikes have, uh, all all e-bikes have a a walk assist mode. So it's a button that you can press and they'll actually just push themselves along at walking speed. Um, Mm. But mine was broken. So... (laughs) I climbed to the top of that mountain with the e-bike on my shoulders. Oh, <laughs> that and, was not in the video. <laughs> well, we, we put it in a whole bunch of it in the video and then submitted it to Gas Gas. And they're like, nah, you can't have that. <laughs> but I thought I looked like He-Man carrying this thing up. <laughs> and this is me carrying my broken Gas Gas e-bike. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely, I, I can see why corporate wouldn't want that. Yeah, that's not what we sell e-bikes for. Uh, yeah, yep, fair. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to talk about tire pressures today. And before we get off the bicycle thing, what do, do you run lower tire pressures on your bicycle? Uh, it depends what we're up to, um, which is kind of my okay. answer for the motorbike stuff as well. Okay. Um, so, so let's yeah, just leave it there. I, I don't want to give anything away here at this point, but, but okay. let, let me start by asking you, Chris, how important do you think lowering tire pressure is for the average adventure rider looking at riding off-road? Uh, very, very, very as important as it gets. Okay. All right. So that, that's great. That sets the tone. Let me ask you first to talk about pinch flats and how it's connected with tire pressure. Yeah. So with the whole tire pressure thing, in my mind, you're basically balancing potential for wheel damage and pinch flats and that sort of thing with too low a pressure versus potential for traction, bump absorption, and a smooth ride down the trail with a low pressure. So those are the two variables that are the two sort of ends of the seesaw that you're trying to balance out. So if your tire pressure is too low and you hit a sharp square edge, rock, tree root, something like that, um, there's not enough stiffness in the tire. Um, The bump's going to come, the object's going to come all the way down and squash the tire against the rim. 
the tube is going to get stuck in between the tire and the rim, and it's going to literally pinch it like a like we we'll call them snake bites. It looks like a snake's bitten your tire because you're going to get uh, two little cuts, one one from the rim side, one from the tire side, and it's basically sandwiching the uh, the inner tube between the rim and the object, and uh, that's what that's what a pinch flat is. Now, now you said tube. Even if you have tubeless, you can suffer a pinch flat. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, bent rims is another thing that goes along with this. Now, some people have bent their rims, uh, their front rims in particular. Is that the, the rim bending, is that from running insufficient pressure, riding too hard, weak rims, or what? Yes, all, mm-hmm. all of the above. Okay. <laughs> and unfortunately, the reality is if you're going to go aggressive off-road on a big twin cylinder adventure bike you are going to dent your rims especially the front it's going to happen and in some ways you kind of have to think of them a bit like chains and sprockets and brake pads you know they're a wear item oh you replace uh, it know. after you bend it <laughs> um depends how bad it is i wait for it to get bent to the point where i'm like oh we really need to fix this now mm-hmm. um the softer the older softer style rims you could hammer them back straight again you could beat them straight some of the uh the stronger ones now you need to try and press them straight but the reality of it is, if, if you're going hard off-road on big twin-cylinder bikes, you get, it's going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've seen guys with you know, sort of 30, 40 PSI in their front tire still dent their rim. Like eventually, you're going to hit something hard enough that it just dents. And the it's, denting of the rim is, is mainly the front rim. The back rim is more about slipping, uh, like spinning the, the rim inside the tire. We're talking lower pressures here. Uh, yeah, but it's not impossible to dent a rear rim. Uh, it's it's much harder, and it's it's much more likely to dent the front. But it's not impossible to dent a rear either. You know, if you you know you hit something hard enough, you'll you'll bend it, right? Well, you ride adventure bikes in places that most people wouldn't even consider. Do you damage your tires and rims when you're doing that? Yep, hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, well, I won't. I mean, Casey and probably won't love that, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I won't lie. Um, I do bend and dent wheels occasionally. Um, when I'm doing the real hardcore off-road stuff, I have a, a specific set of wheels that I use for that. So we run uh, a, a narrower rim set. So I'll, I'll get the numbers wrong. I think it's a, I can't remember. It's a, it's a power part off-road wheel set. So they come with narrower rims, uh, which gives us a different different tire profile. And this significant, being narrower, they're, uh, sign- they're significantly stronger. They're a stronger rim as well. Um, but the tire actually kind of protects the rim more. Um, you think of like a, a standard rim, the rim is the widest point mm-hmm. uh, and then the tire kind of comes straight in off the rim with the narrow rims, the, uh, the, the, the tire sort of balloons out more uh, in a curved profile sort of thing. And the narrow rim is shielded by the, by the tire more. So it's, it's much, much harder to dent those rims. That's like an off-road um, rim. Yeah, the downside is uh, you get a really round profile and the, the tire's not as stable on the rim. So if you start really loading it up on the road, they feel quite squirrely. So that that's the reason why uh, uh, most adventure bikes don't come with those narrow rims standard. Um, especially on my 1290, like if I've got my narrow rims on the road, I'm like, okay, calm down, slow down. You can really, really notice the difference. So is there a rider profile that you see for lowering tire pressure off-road or is it more of a terrain profile? Um, in my mind, it, it, you know, 
everyone always asks, you know, what's the what's the right pressure? What's the right uh, tire pressure? And the answer is, it depends. Um, there's so many different variables, and I think you know, terrain is a huge uh, variant. So if it's uh, you know rocky, sharp edge sort of terrain, you need a lot more pressure. The type of rider you are, like you said, you know, your riding style, the weight of the rider, the, the bike, the type of tire that you're running, how the bike's loaded, uh, and your speed—they're all you know huge factors that kind of all combine for what the you know the theoretical perfect tire pressure would be in that scenario. I'm glad you said that because you made it sound very simple. Now it's easy for us to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but this so, is a this is a technical thing. It is going to take some work on the rider's part to figure out what's best for them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very much so. So how I kind of try and answer the question at the schools um, is, I try to get the guys and to, to think about more about how the bike feels and the the feedback that your tire is giving you, rather than what the pressure gauge is telling you. So trying to kind of wean yourself off the pressure gauge and understand the feedback and the feeling you're getting from your tires. So imagine we're going down uh, a rough, bumpy trail and our tire pressure is too high. So maybe we've got like 40, you know, street pressure, 40 PSI, something like that. Uh, and we've got a, you know, a stiff tire like, a, you know, a tractionator or a hide now or something like that. You're going to have very little flex, very little cushion in that tire. So every bump is going to reflect straight through the tire into the suspension, start bouncing the bike around. The bike's going to chatter and bounce around the place. The, the bike's not going to be planted on the ground. You're not going to get the traction, the comfort, and the bump absorption that you might need to get down that trail. And you're going to feel that. You're going to feel like the bike's kind of all over the place. You're working too hard. The other end of the seesaw, if your tire pressure is too low, uh, you're going to feel the tire maybe feeling a bit squirmy and weird and vague underneath you. Um, you're going to feel the bike really slow to tip into the turns. It doesn't want to initiate and tip into the turns very nicely. And you're going to feel the tire, the, the rim touching the ground, uh, bottoming out on obstacles, that sort of thing. So we're trying to learn that, that actual feel of what the tire is feeding back to you to understand the, the, the signals that, that, that it's trying to send you. So when the tire is trying to tell you, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm too stiff for this terrain, you know what that is. And when the tire is trying to tell you, hey, I'm too soft, you better pump me up or else I'm going to let go, uh, you know th what those signals are as well. And that's, that takes like all different feel things. That takes a, a while to develop. So one of the things we'll do with this with a class is um, get a nice and a mellow bit of trail and go, right, let's, let's try it at 40 PSI. Okay, let's try it at 20 PSI. Feel that difference? Okay, this is what we're chasing. And then try and play around to find that sweet spot from there. The tire is the first part of the suspension. It's the, it's the first, yeah, it's your man. first suspension. So everything that happens to it affects everything afterwards. So I mean, it, it, yeah. it would make sense that that is super important to get. And I know just as you're describing it there, like for myself, when I ride uh, on some, any, anything to do with anything rocky or rough, I find it harsh to the point of, I find it annoying if I'm running street pressure off-road. Yeah, it's it's really hard to do, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you're working significantly harder than you need to be. Um, well, you mentioned there that you send them out and you, you say, you know, let's ride this trail at 40 and then let's ride it at 20. And that's what we're after. But how do you refine that further? How do you figure out, because we're balancing here the traction that we want, the suspension that we want out of the out of that tire while avoiding or trying to avoid rim damage. Yeah. How yeah. do you do that? How do you figure out where you're supposed to be at? 
And, and to be honest, like one of the other factors, I think, in, in my list of factors that I've got here for tire pressure, probably uh, remoteness would be another one of those as well. So oh, yeah. if I was in the middle of nowhere on some mountain range, like, oh, do I really want to drop my tires down a bit lower here? Uh, I would be less inclined to kind of experiment with that super low pressure than I would be if I was, you know, in cell phone reception half an hour from my house sort of thing. Because obviously, as you do uh, as you do reduce those pressures, you are exposing yourself more to, to flat tires and wheel damage and that sort of thing. Is there a safe zone that you could go in? Like you just mentioned, forty and twenty. Do, do you do you have a safe zone in mind when you think of this? And you think, well, if you stay within this with most bikes, you're you're going to be okay in that. Uh, the biggest factor to keep in mind there as well, I think, though, is speed. So. There's a safe zone for low-speed technical sort of stuff, and then there'll be a completely different safe zone for fast open riding, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine, you know, the same thing, you're hitting that, that one rock on the trail. If you're hitting that rock in first and second gear, maybe 20 PSI is going to be absolutely fine. If you're hitting that same rock in third and fourth gear, straight to the, straight to the rim, flat tire, wheel damage. So I think one of the biggest factors in this whole, like, what is the perfect pressure paradigm thing is your actual speed uh, of of your terrain and and of the rider, um, so that it it gets. I you can see I'm so reluctant to actually give out numbers because I know people will jump on numbers. <laughs> you mean jump on it saying that's not right, or, or jump on it thinking okay that's it I'm going to stick to that. Yeah, and it's uh, that's both things, both things, uh, and hundred percent whatever number I give will be wrong for some situation, and it will be right for some situation. Um, because you know that these factors are really, really important. Uh, another huge one is the t- actual type of tire that you're running. Um, so, for example, if you run like uh, if we go back to the same situation, if we put 20 psi down this rocky trail, if we put 20 psi and a TKC80 Continental TKC80, which is a really supple, um, soft sidewall tire, mm-hmm. you know, compliant tire. 20 PSI on that, going down a rough, bumpy trail. You're going to have lots of bump absorption, good traction, really good feeling until you hit that one sharp edge rock where 20 PSI won't be enough to support that tire. It's going to blow through that softer carcass and it's going to dent, it's going to pinch flat. If we put 20 PSI in, say, like one of the really stiff uh, hide nails or TKC, uh, not sorry, TKC80, not a hide nail or... Um, the like Cinemetis uh, E09 Dakar, really stiff sidewall tire. Mm-hmm. You're going to be kicking and bouncing around the place. You're not going to get the compliance and the smoothness that the TKC80 gave you. But when you hit that rock, that stiff sidewall is going to look after your tire. You're not going to dent it. You're not going to pinch flat. So the type of tire that you're running is a really, really huge factor here. But having said that, let me just, sorry, just let me jump in here, Chris. Then isn't the EO9 not giving you what you really want at that point? Depends what you want, right? So if you you wanted, if you, sorry, if you wanted more, if you wanted a more durable tire, you'd just pump up the TKC80 and you would have that. Yeah, you you would up to a certain point, but then they still, uh, imagine, so if you're on a big 1200cc twin cylinder bike and you're riding across the desert, you probably don't want a TKC80. They're going to be too soft, too, too compliant, and you're exposing yourself to more tire damage than what they say that the Hyde Now or the EO9 um, Dakar would provide. Mm. Um, yeah. 
for me, the E09 Dakar, that I call that the rock crusher. So if I'm going down the South Islands, a more high-speed open riding, and I just want to be able to hit stuff, that's that's my tyre. But then if I take that tyre up here near my house, slippery, wet, greasy clay, uh, not really any rock, I hate it. I can't let it down enough to, to actually get the compliance and the softness and the traction I need out of that tyre, and it doesn't work. So, yeah, like all things in adventure bikes, it's always this compromise. So coming back to tire fresher sort of thing away from tire design it's always that compromise you know if you inflate your tires more you're going to compromise your traction and your bump absorption if you deflate your tires more you're going to compromise your security wheel damage pinch flat prevention that sort of thing and that balance of that seesaw depends on the situation right so we've got the the tire itself, the, the make and model of the tire, how stiff the carcass is. We've got our tire pressure and our speed and the terrain to consider when we're setting our tire pressures. Yeah, and uh, and the loading of your bike as well. So if you're you know loaded up with uh, a week of camping gear, you're going to be one of a higher pressure the whole time. Because, uh, again, your tire's going to be hitting harder with that gear on the back. You're not going to be as agile, as, as active on the bike, probably. Um, so you're more likely just to slam into stuff rather than ride around it. So the, the loading of the bike is a really important factor. And another big factor, I think, as well, is, is, is your actual riding style. So if you're a, you know, a heavy, on the foot pegs, you know, ground and pound, smash through stuff sort of a guy, then you're going to need more tire pressure, more more pressure on your tires to uh, to defend them from that sort of riding style. If you're a lighter guy, light on your feet, you know, like to sort of help the bike over, more sort of trialsy sort of a guy, then you're going to be able to get away with a lower pressure, and you you won't need and the benefits of that, and you won't need that uh, that defense of a, of a of a higher pressure. So so many freaking factors involved, and I can pro- I can hear your listen our dear listeners getting oh this guy's going around in circles, and yeah. He's telling us everything and I'm learning nothing from this. I'll, I'll never yeah, yeah. figure out my tire pressure. Give me a number. <laughs> exactly. You know, and the thing is, you also have to remember that if you've set it up for riding, like you just described there, the, the trial style, slow riding, you can't just all of a sudden switch, which, which no. I can remember doing one time, you know, doing my normal slow riding and then deciding to whip up a hill and I hit a rock. And as soon as I hit, I thought, no, oh, that definitely, that definitely bent yeah. my rim. And sure enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been caught out as well. You know, group rides. You know, the the, the terrain's changed. It's, it's the trails opened up. We started going a bit faster. I'm like, oh man, I feel my tire pressure's a little bit low here, but oh, I don't want to stop. Ah, it'll be all right. <laughs> Dong. Oh, yeah. you loser. That gets very expensive because rims are very expensive. So yeah, it's a oh, shame. It's, on me. it's a shame there wasn't a sensor in the in especially in the front wheel that would tell you. Hey, your your pressure is too low for how you're riding. You know what I mean? Like, you're, or or maybe maybe another way, like saying yeah. you're getting within fourteen percent of a pinch flat. <laughs> you're getting within ten percent. They've got all these other no. electronics. You are you are the sensor. Your sensor is your hands and your feet and your your mind. You you are the sensor. Okay, that, that's great, and that's what I want. That's what I want to know. How do we get to the point? How do you develop that without going through a bunch of rims and pinch flats? I'm looking for the shortcut here. Um, you take the time to go to experiment, to play around with it. And uh, so go to a trail that's familiar to you, pump your tires up, feel what that's like, let them down, feel what that's like. And, you know, you can you can bottom out your rim gently without going, you know, without damaging it. 
but you know, give yourself uh, uh, the time to actually go out and find this feedback and understand the feedback that you're getting. Turn yourself into the sensor that you're trying to design. And it, you just have to take the time to go and learn it. Um, a really good thing to do there as well is, you know, play around with your tire pressures, uh, let them down, pump them up, get into the feeling where, like, yeah, this is the this is the right point. I'm not feel like I don't feel like I'm blowing through my wheels too much through my tires. I've got good traction. I've got good pressure. And then you get your pressure gauge out and go right. What is that? And then that gives you a number. Okay, now you know what that feels about right what that number actually represents. So you can come back to that for that sort of terrain. So rather than just going, oh, I ride at 30 PSI because that's what someone on the internet told me, you're actually doing your own homework, your own research and figuring out what feels right for you with your tire, in your terrain, with your riding style on your bike. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I I really like that approach because it is all about a personal uh, approach. And it's the same with everything on our bike as we replace things. I mean, one of the worst things you can do is go and look at the list that, that people post on the internet of the mods they do to their bike and copy them because like that's like wearing somebody else's clothing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, that, I, I, you've kind of touched on a nerve here for me because you know I, I get guys asking all the time, you know, what pressure should I have in my tires? And I genuinely just don't know. And I, I, I try and give some sort of vague advice, sort of thing. But the big thing is you need to just go and figure it out and play around with it. And there's so much potential for improvement here. Like having the right pressure in your tires, it makes such a difference. Uh, it can be the difference between having a really, really horrible day, either from flat tires constantly or just not being able to get the traction that you need or just having a good time on your bike. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope my, I'm pretty sure my dad doesn't listen to this, but I'm going to tell a, a story about him. Um, my mum my, my and my dad still ride motorbikes and a bit of off-road and that sort of stuff as well. And my mum has a little KLX 140. My mum would be lucky if she weighs 50 kilograms, like she's she's tiny. And uh, we went out for a, a family trail ride and mum was sliding around the place, really struggling and having a, a really bad time. And uh, just, we stopped, she's like, oh, I don't know if this is for me anymore. I'm just not having fun like I used to. Um, maybe I'm too old for this sort of thing. And we got going again and I was riding along behind her I'm like, What's going on? Like their tires, how much pressure you got on their tires? And I stopped and I could barely flex it with my thumbs, um, which is a real bad sign on a, on a dirt bike. So I ended up letting like half the pressure out and mom went from like pretty much wanting to pack it up and go home to having the best day of her life sort of thing. Oh. And I talked to dad, I was like, why did you have so much pressure in mom's tire? What are you on about? He's like, oh, she got a, pr- a flat tire three months ago and I had to fix it in the middle of the bush and it was so annoying. <laughs> so, 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 so dad would be like, I can't be bothered doing that again. We'll just put way more pressure in to save his hassle. And it got to the point where mum was considering quitting off-road riding. It was making that much of a difference. Well, that that is an incredible illustration to what tire pressure can do for us as far as comfort. And, and I, yeah. I want to I nail you down on a pressure though. <laughs> I well, want, what I is the magic pressure. number? So, the um, pressure du jour. <laughs> so it, if there's, I mean, could you talk generalities with terrain? Could you say, you yeah. know, for mud and sand and rocks, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so for me, I don't find dropping my pressures down in sand really makes that much difference. 
Um, it's not like I've got a, a great big balloon tire like I have on a big four-wheel drive or something where they, you know, you're trying to massively increase your footprint. So generally in sand, I don't worry about it. I, I kind of just leave them, leave them alone. Uh, where I'm dropping my pressures down is when I'm struggling. So if I'm ever thinking I need, hey, this is getting hard work. I need more traction here. I'm working too hard here. I'll stop and I'll dump a bit of air out of my tire. Normally about three seconds worth. So, okay, sweet. Give that a try. That doesn't work. We'll go another couple of seconds sort of thing. Once I get out of that ugly, horrible terrain and I'm back to something more open and flowing again, I have to stop and I have to put some more back in. So I'm never going adventure riding without a pump. And it's not so that I can, hopefully it's not so I can fix flat tires, but it's that I know I've got that confidence that if I get into some sort of a situation where I know I, I, I'm working hard, I can drop that pressure down to get through there with the least amount of stress possible. Mm, right. So twin cylinder bikes, you know, the bigger 1200s, that sort of stuff, that range, that safe range for me is probably between... 17, 18, we're talking about the rear here, 17, 18 PSI would be about as low as I'd ever go in the rear. And for off-road, about 30 would be as high as I'd ever really go for sort of more desert riding, that sort of stuff, personally. Um, and then on the twin-cylinder bikes, like the, the, the mid-sized bikes, like the 890s, the 790s, lighter bike, um, the suspension... It's generally a bit more compliant on those. You can get away with lower pressures. Um, so I would happily take those down to sort of in an extreme situation around sort of 12, 13, somewhere in around there. But I'm generally running a sort of mid, early 20s, somewhere in around there on those bikes. And then a, a lightweight dual sport single some of the bike, like an EXE, something like that. In those extreme situations, you can happily go down to sort of 7 or 8 PSI uh, as low as you'd ever really want to go. And then most of the time I'm running somewhere around sort of 13, 14, 15, somewhere in, in mid, mid teens on the, uh, on the single cylinder bikes as really, really vague, uh, starting points. Now that's rear you're talking about on the rear. Yeah. And generally it will run three, two or three PSI more on the front the whole time than we do to the rear, uh, just for that extra protection, uh, uh for the front row. So you're not you're not going off the factory specs and sort of working backwards. You're you you're going by feel on this and then converting it to pounds so that you can talk about it. Yeah. So generally I don't like most of the time I have no idea what pressure is in my tires in terms of numbers. I, I honestly don't know. Um it's going off feel as much as I can. Um yeah. I, I basically just use the tire pressure gauges for the schools. But you know that that's that's the that's the voice of an experienced rider who's been riding his whole life and has a has a good feel for it sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But you know you can go and learn that feel and that skill like like any other skill on a motorbike. And uh, if you if you don't have that skill, you you can't tell how hard tires. I mean, a, a tire pressure gauge is easy to carry. That's an easy thing Absolutely. to throw in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I would still really encourage people to go out and try and convert numbers into feel. So if you're experiencing a bad feeling, you know how what numbers you need to do to make that bad feeling go away, either too high or too low sort of thing. Mm. Okay. Yeah. 
I think uh, something I should say here as well is like this is very much uh, a hard, an ex-hard enduro racer talking here. So in terms of uh, you know extreme enduros, Romaniacs, that sort of stuff, we're running super, super low pressures. Uh, like we don't run air, so we run uh, a bib moose, and we're trying to replicate like a four, five, six psi feeling in the rear, like crazy soft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm really, really dialed into uh, wanting that feeling of traction and compliance. That's that's my sweet spot. That's what feels good to me. If you took a desert racer and interviewed them in the same way, they're probably chasing the same thing, but with numbers significantly higher the whole time. So for me personally, I I like my tires soft as I can get get away with. So I, that does influence my my uh, my speech a bit as well. I would say. So just and to bring it back into racing sort of thing, the the tire pressure is the number one thing we would be worrying about before the start of a race. Like it's it's I would rather run. Uh, so we're going to go and do this hard enduro race uh, this weekend. I would much rather run a worn second hand tire with the right pressure in it than a brand new tire with incorrect pressure. Oh wow. Uh, it's it's that important. Well, that's interesting to note. Okay, um, is is there anything else we can put in here? Honestly, we could prattle on about tire pressures probably the rest of the day. Uh, it, it is the it is the number one thing. But I think, like to sign off, I would say the advice I would give is just don't be afraid to go and experiment. Uh, take a tire pressure gauge, take a pump, let them down, pump them up. Go too high, go too low, go all the way in between and just, yeah, get that understanding of that feeling for you, your your bike, your riding style, your terrain, and just try and build that knowledge and understanding of it. It's free. It costs you nothing to do. And it can really, really change your experience you have going down the trail. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Chris. Only a pleasure. was Chris Birch from the Say No to Slow headquarters in New Zealand. Chris has a fantastic 16-episode instructional video series covering all kinds of things, including doing a wheelie on an ADV bike, uh, but also much more practical things. It's a workshop, really, and you can buy that directly from his website for immediate download. I highly recommend that. His website is saynotoslow.nz. Of course, we've got that link and some pics from Chris in the show notes for this episode. Now we're going to take just a short break while I tell you about a couple of things. When we come back, we've got a lot more to talk about with Bill Jergoo this time. Stay with us. Inspired by years of personal riding experience and feedback gathered from riders across the globe, Giant Loop designs products for travel, discovery, and exploration. That is the Giant Loop difference. Giant Loop believes that lighter and simpler is better, and that how we ride shouldn't be dictated by what's strapped to our vehicles, that riding is just plain more fun when unnecessary weight and bulk are removed. You can't argue with that. Giant Loop eliminates elements focusing on what's needed to serve the product's mission. So no extra straps or buckles, no everything in the kitchen sink designs. Instead, each product is purpose-built to enhance the riding experience for those who want modular and customizable packing systems that's durable, stable, intuitive, and lightweight. 
Discover a whole new world of intuitive, functional, durable gear that carries little more than sort of a plug-and-play enjoyment with Giant Loop. You'll find Giant Loop at quality retailers all over the globe. The website is giantloopmoto.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, giantloopmoto.com. Moto Camp Nerd. What is it? Well, it's a store that specializes only in motorcycle camping gear. And what makes that different? Well, there's plenty. Now, riders and moto campers Ben and Mary Williams in North Carolina, the owners and founders of this, say that everything they stock at Moto Camp Nerd was thoughtfully picked for pack size and durability, specifically for motorcycle campers. They say that every item that they stock in the store was chosen for pack size and durability, specifically for motorcycle campers. That's key because if you ever went into a camping store and asked them about something suitable for motorcycle camping, you're likely going to be met with a sort of a hesitation and a blank stare as they sort out in their minds, what category should I put these people in? <laughs> Let's face it, us motorcyclists have specific needs and challenges for motorcycles. We're kind of like backpacking, except we have more room and aren't as concerned about the weight. Not in the same way anyway. And our gear gets beat hard. So you got to understand motorcycling and motorcycle camping to really understand what we're after. And that's what they're doing at Moto Camp Nerd, specializing only in that. They're a brick and mortar store as well. I mean, you can order online, but they also have a store that you can walk into in Archdale, North Carolina. So pack small, camp easy with motocampnerd.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, motocampnerd.com. When you see a bunch of adventure motorcycles stood in a parking lot, you'll see all kinds of tires, panniers, bags, straps, things like that, all customized to meet the rider's wants and needs and looks, etc. But when you spot a set of IMS foot pegs on a bike, then you know that's a serious rider. Because serious riders know the difference in performance foot pegs will make, and they understand the value in investing in those and how much it will improve their riding skills. When IMS builds these pegs, They use everything they've learned from way back in 1976 when IMS started right up till now. They use everything they've learned off the racetrack because over all that time, just about every podium finisher in off-road racing has had an IMS product on it. They take all that data and then they build these Adventure Bike Series foot pegs. And every detail, right down to the angle of the back of the casting, which is designed to shed mud and and reduce clogging, they call it watershed design, or the two rows of staggered teeth meant to increase grip and not rip up your sole. I mean, all of these things make the difference. And of course, the material they use to make them, 17-4 cast certified stainless steel, they test them so extensively and they are so confident in these products that they cover them with a lifetime warranty. Lifetime. Now, even one step further, they're made in the USA where quality control can be monitored at the highest level. Seriously, if you don't have them, you should have. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Bill Dragoo is a certified BMW factory-trained off-road instructor, a certified motorcycle safety foundation rider coach. He's a certified flight instructor. He's a scuba diver, a skydiver. He's competed and won in motocross, cross-country mountain biking, sailboat racing, and adventure riding. Bill is the founder of DART, Dragoo Adventure Rider Training, in Norman, Oklahoma.
Bill, welcome back. Hey, Jim. It's great to be back with you. The old adage I think many people have heard is that when traction is low, lowering tire pressure helps. And I'm curious to begin with, what do you tell your students about the idea, not necessarily the, the pressures, but just the idea of lowering tire pressure for traction? Well, of course, we lower it for more reasons than just traction. But traction, uh, typically we tell them this, this increases the size of the contact patch, uh, which it does to a degree. Uh, you know, when you lower that tire pressure, it allows the tire to, to smush somewhat wider, but more longer. Uh, this works on automobiles as well as uh, on motorcycles. Uh, so it, it gives you more surface area in contact with the ground. Uh, sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's not because you're also dealing with pounds per square inch of pressure or weight uh, of that contact patch. A larger contact patch with the same amount of weight applied is less pressure per square inch, if that makes sense. So uh, one of the benefits to reducing tire pressure in addition to uh, increasing traction by size of contact patch is that it allows the tire to mold and flex more around um, a, an obstacle, a, a root, a rock, something that it might be able to, to uh, grip, somewhat like uh, uh, climbing shoes uh, that, are, uh, that are sticky and they're real flexible so that they can, can mold into a a feature that you might be trying to grip with your foot. Now you said it lowers the pounds per square inch. And I just want to give it an analogy for that. That'd be something like walking into a, a room with a soft floor on stiletto heels and the heels would puncture holes or quite possibly puncture holes into that floor, at least indent the floor. Whereas the same person would walk in and bare feet and leave no marks at all, not damaging the floor. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. You also said there's more reasons than just traction that we lower the tire pressure. Yeah. So one of the reasons that we lower tire pressure, and, and I think this is probably more common, is that, you know, as I mentioned in the opening there, uh, the, the tire's ability to flex, to compress somewhat, is the first stage of suspension for our motorcycles. It, that, that movement of the uh, contact area of the tire towards the rim uh, absorbs some of the impact. Now, you also get spring back from that. But the analogy that I give to students, uh, first of all, the, the instruction that I give when they ask, well, what should our tire pressures be? And my first answer is as soft as you can make it and as hard as it has to be. So that seems like a bit of an oxymoron. But by as soft as you can make it, uh, and by the way, that's the same instruction that I give for suspension for adventure bikes for most terrain. Uh, the soft as you can make it is you want to reduce that tire pressure as though uh, you were imagining a, rolling a basketball down a, a road, a bit of terrain, a trail, whatever it might be. So let's say you have this trail you're about to uh, embark upon. And you're standing at the, the beginning of it, and you roll this fully inflated basketball down this trail. How is that basketball going to act? You know, if, if it hits these rocks that are uh, all odd sizes, and it's bouncing skyward, and you know, goes quite a ways and hits again and bounces again. Well, a fully inflated tire will act somewhat like that fully inflated basketball. It's going to try to rebound really, really hard. Whereas if you take that same basketball and you reduce the pressure significantly and you roll it, it's more of a thud. So that's the 
is as soft as we can make it part. We want to reduce that tire's tendency to rebound now as hard as it has to be. So we're trying to protect the rim also. So if you make it too soft uh, for your riding style, for the terrain or the way the motorcycle's loaded, then now you get a lot of give on the tire. It's a nice ride, but it becomes um, uh, dangerous in, in that it can bend your rim. It can slice the sidewall of a tire. Uh, it can create all kinds of problems. So you have to find that happy medium. Skill over, uh, skill trumps tire pressure though. So, uh, you know, there are instructors and there are riders out there who advocate never dropping below road pressure. And there's, there's definitely some uh, truth to what they're suggesting or some uh, benefit to what they're suggesting. Um, you know, but road pressure might be 41 PSI. So I'm not an advocate of leaving it all the way up to that full road pressure. I run something less than that. And we can get into the details and whys of that as we progress. What about the, the difference in, in uh, tire pressure front to rear? You've got a bigger tire in the back, smaller tire in the front. Can you talk about that? Sure. So typically uh, the manual on your motorcycle is going to show a higher tire pressure for the rear than the front. And that's, usually because that tire is carrying more weight. So reduced tire pressure when you're on the road or long distance riding increases heat on the tire itself, which increases rate of wear uh, and the ability for the tire to suffer failure from, from heat-related issues. So uh, off-road, though, we kind of reverse that. We tend to run a bit more pressure in the front than the rear, and at least my logic on this is that the front tire is usually the first tire that's going to contact most of the rocks, most of the ledges and things that you don't lift the tire and literally loft the tire over. Uh, so it needs a little bit more pressure to protect itself against that. The rear tire has more distance. It's a larger diameter tire. So it has more distance between the contact area and the rim. Therefore, it takes. Um, it doesn't take as much tire pressure to keep that rim protected. And also the rear, we're looking for traction. So as we're climbing, we might want a little bit more traction back there where braking is the only, uh, braking and turning are the only traction issues for the front tire. Does it have anything to do with the way the suspension geometry is set up as well? I mean, if, if you think of when you're going into an obstacle, you're jamming it in with forks pretty much straight down, jamming it against it, whereas the rear is trailing. Yeah, if you look at the, I mean, uh, technically, the short answer to your question could be yes. Um, so, and even on a, like on a GS where you have the telelever suspension, it's not only trailing, it's not only moving aft and, and upward directly against that suspension, it's actually kicking forward just a little bit. So there is an element of, of truth to that. But if you look at the arc of the rear suspension based on its point, uh, its mounting point, the swing arm pivot, and then where it goes, it's not a lot. It is more user-friendly uh, for that impact to let that tire swing aft and up. It swings more up than it does aft, I think. But uh, it's, there's not a whole lot there. I think you get more benefit from just reducing the tire pressure according to the diameter of the tire um, and uh, uh, protecting that rim. 
rather than from the arc of the suspension. And I want to be real careful as we're talking about this tire pressure reduction, because it sounds like we're advocating going around with a tire gauge and at every change in terrain, uh, changing that tire pressure. And that's not the case at all. Uh, I'm a set them and forget them kind of guy. And I set the tire pressures at a pressure that is adequate for the road. Uh, if I'm riding from here to the Arbuckle Mountains here in Oklahoma to do a, a rocks training course, I don't change my tire pressure when I get down there. I set them, I forget them, and, and I run the tire. Mm. It's a compromise. It's always a compromise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, even racers compromise, don't they? I mean, if you were a, you know, a high-level supercross racer or, or enduro or whatever the case is, otherwise every bike would be set up exactly the same. This tire, that pressure, this suspension, everyone compromises to match maybe their riding style or what they think is their advantage. I think so. Uh, you know, I, I remember when I competed in my first uh, Adventure Rider Challenge on a KTM uh, 950 Super Enduro, I let my rear tire down to something like 6 PSI. I knew that I had some challenging terrain to get over and through and all. And I went down to uh, kind of a trials-type um, uh, tire pressure on that big, heavy motorcycle. And I was fortunate. It worked really well for me. It didn't come off the rim. I didn't have a pinch flat. But all of our speeds were below five miles per hour. So it wasn't an issue. Uh, again, I don't advocate going that low for most of our riding. But um, at that particular time, I did. I wanted every advantage that I could, uh, I could muster. And I thought, well, if some is good, more is better. <laughs> I've learned a lot since then. Did you win? I did. I did. Oh, <laughs> then that, that sort of bolstered your confidence in your, in your thought process as far as your tire pressure at that point. It did. Yeah. Uh, the bike handled a little weird though. I probably was lucky or overcame what I had done more than anything, but I did have good traction though. And some of the, some of the issues were climbing some really loose, rocky terrain. And I just did not want that tire to slip. So, uh, it, it, it did, it had some benefits. Well, ATVs are, are a testament to that. ATVs run very low tire pressure just for that reason, and they get all kinds of traction. Of course, those tires are made specifically for that tire pressure. The beads are, are more uh, are, are, are heavy um, compared to other tires that you might find running higher pressures. And that's one of the issues that we have to deal with with lowering tire pressure is our bead. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's always something that you have to keep in mind. And also the ATVs run a lot more volume. You know, mm -hmm. you look at uh, aircraft, uh, little uh, old Kit Fox or uh, Highlander, or any of these bush planes, and now they're these stall as short takeoff and landing competitions. A lot of these these uh, airplanes are running balloon tires, and they are very much like a balloon, high volume, low pressure. They might run two psi, but it still holds the airplane up because there's just a lot of surface area there. Mm -hmm. Tire pressures are set cold because it's the only predictable time to measure. The, the carcass heats up, as we know, when we ride, which heats the air, the air expands, the pressure increases. So if you, you need a baseline to measure at, and that's why they choose cold to set your tire pressure. When we ride the highway to our off-road area, we arrive with a hot tire, elevated tire pressure. How much concern is there for that, and, and how, do you, how do you deal with that issue? I'm probably not the most analytical person in that regard because I don't worry too much about the difference between a cold tire and a hot tire on one that holds as little air as a motorcycle. Uh, a hot tire versus a cold tire on a Jeep might be, there might be a lot more difference in the, uh, the height of the, the tire from the, the uh, uh, ground to the rim just from a cold to a hot tire. 
motorcycle, I think you're going to get a little bit less of that. So once I set them, and I typically will set them cold, uh, then I don't recheck to see, well, how much did that change now that my tires is, uh, has cooled down because I'm in an off-road environment, uh, I'm riding much slower. Uh, I don't worry about that. There may be some benefit to worrying about it, but it hasn't seemed to affect me that much. Now, when you arrive, though, as in that situation, though, as you come off the highway, you, you don't even bother thinking about uh, the, the fact that the tires are hot. You'll still lower the pressure according to whatever pressures you run for the terrain you're about to run? Well, backing up, I set them here at home, and then I ride it where I'm going, and that's the pressure that I run. So it's a oh. pressure that's sufficient for highway, and it's sufficient for off-road. Now, there is a condition where I'll go lower. You can talk about that more in a little bit if you want. You know, Bill, there's something I want to talk to you about before we get into the actual pressures. It's tire choice. The, the tire that you hear people most talk about, it seems to be the favored tire, is always a ratio. And, and I'm not talking makes or brands here. I'm talking this ratio between road and dirt, the 50-50 tire. Now, my feeling is that if the tire is a 50-50 tire, I think people often read it as it's good for 50% time on the road and 50% time off the road. But but in reality, I think what it is, is it's designed to be a compromise. We're talking about compromise. It's a compromise between a road tire and a dirt tire. It's half as good as a road tire on the road, and it's half as good as a dirt tire in the dirt, which basically means it's great at nothing. Exactly. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, just exactly what you said. It means it's great at nothing. Uh, an 80-20 tire, uh, that 20% that you're off-road with that tire, you're going to be 100% miserable if you're in a situation that requires an off-road tire. So it, it's not going to kind of work um, for you in, uh, you know, deep, in long gravel climbs or in deep sand or something or in mud. It just isn't going to work. I mean, you, it's by the grace of God, you get through those environments with a tire like that. Um, a good, aggressive tire is going to instill confidence, and it will support your decision to have run that tire, even though you had to listen to the whine on the road a bit to get down there, even though it wears out a little bit quicker, even though you need to go a little slower on rainy turns on pavement. To me, it's worth it. I run a uh, what I would consider a proper tire for off-road what I consider 24-7, 365, uh, all day, every day, all the time. So as far as brands, uh, you know, there are a lot of good brands of tires out there. But I'm currently running a set of Anarchy Wilds on my bike, and uh, that's a tire that uh, I was asked to test, and it's doing quite well. Uh, they wear out fairly quickly, but most what I call proper off-road tires do wear out fairly quickly. Uh, I've run the Shinko 804-805 series. That's their big, big block tire. Uh, numerous sets of those tires. And they're a, they're a compromised tire for off-road because they're, they're a little bit slippery laterally. So if you had an off-camber situation, uh, that tire's not going to hold as well, I think, due to tread pattern and lack of depth of tread. But it's a real stable tire. That very lack of depth of tread makes it a, a pretty decent tire on the road. But it's still a good off-road tire. It's up in the in the realm of the Continental TKC80. Uh, so those two tires have similar traction capabilities that are both uh, suitable for most off-road conditions. The, the uh, Anarchy Wild has better traction in loamy dirt, uh, things that it can get, 
get those uh, knobs into. They're deep knobs. They're smaller. Uh, they're fairly spaced out. Makes it a little bit noisier tire, but it's not intolerable. Uh, I'm used to it. And uh, yeah, and you know, then we can get into something like the uh, Dunlop Trailmax Mission, which is a, a highly acclaimed tire now. And some people consider that a, a very worthy off-road tire. I don't. I have witnessed students struggle with that tire over and over again when they get into uh, any kind of a, a real off-road environment, whether that be sand or mud. Um, rocks, it does okay, but mainly because it's rubber on rock. I mean, it, you know, if your tire pressure is not at 40 PSI, if you're down in that uh, 25, 26 to 30 PSI range, that tire has enough flex and give that it can, it can wrap around and bite and grip to a, uh, a fairly rough rock. You're the first person I've heard mention the Shinko 804-805, the lateral movement. And what how I describe that tire is, and I, and I ran it, is it screws sideways if you're doing a side hill and on slippery surface. Is that Did you find that with that tire? Well, the block is, it's almost like a paddle tire. The blocks are aligned uh, across the tire from left to right. And there's a large void in between every set of blocks. So that works really well uh, to drive forward in loamy dirt, mud, sand. Uh, sand. It's a, it's a great it's a sand, sand tire, tire yeah. for moving ahead. Uh, laterally, not so much, but are we really pushing laterally on our motorcycles in sand? You know, you get a rut right away. As soon as you're leaning that motorcycle, you get a rut that's going to suffice for most of our turning needs. So I, I like that 804-805 series tire. And when I say 804-805, 804 is the front, 805 is the rear in that Shinko. So it's one of the best values in a tire, I think, out there. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. an expensive tire. I just found that it uh, did. I, I found it very predictable, but I found it screwed sideways. And I, and I asked a, a number of people, and I, nobody seemed to reflect what I was saying on that. Uh, they just said they, they really liked it, and that was it. But uh, I found that if it, you were on an off-camber, slippery slope, that um, it was very easy to have it screw sideways. I mean, it's no big deal. You could you could overcome it. Obviously, you just you know use your clutch and you overcome the the screwing action. But it did have a tendency to do it. And if you stopped, if you ended up finding yourself stopped in mud, I found the the same sort of thing, slipping downhill all the time, just rather quickly. I thought. Oh, I you know clay, wet clay is uh, where I've had some issues with that eight hundred four eight hundred five. Uh, and screwing sideways, I had not used that term before or heard it used, but it's a pretty accurate description, I think, of what's happening with that tire. It's it's a pretty, it's, it's a sketchy tire for that surface. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're discussing here is tread pattern. We're, we're talking about the nuances of tread patterns with certain models of tires, which is interesting because you, you can, as we're talking through this, there's so many different things that different tires do. What would be your advice, your general advice for people if they're looking for some sort of tire? And maybe they, they don't have the experience of trying a bunch of different models and they're not really sure. What should they be looking for so they don't get a tire that, for instance, does something like this or performs in some other adverse way like the, the Trail Max that you were just saying? Tread patterns, that's a good discussion. Um, you know, this is something I get a lot of questions on before students come to our level one and two training. And ironically, in our level one and two, it probably makes the least amount of difference overall. But people are looking for the magic bullet. You know, I want to have the right hand grips. I want to have the right hand guards. I want to have the right windscreen. I want the right skid plate. I want the right tires. I want the right boots. I want the right other, you know, other equipment. And 
they come in with uh, often come in with a lot of new gear and a lot of new equipment on their motorcycles. Well, my advice on tires is that they're kind of up there with boots because good traction promotes confidence. So if a student comes in knowing that they have a tire that is compromised, whether it truly affects them or not in the environment that they'll be encountering in our level one and two training, they may have a little bit of that feeling that because of these tires, they're not going to be able to turn as well or to climb this hill as well or to handle that rut or that off camber. And although there is some truth to that, we don't put them in an extreme circumstance to the degree that the tire will make a huge difference in level one and two. When they get to level three, rocks and sand, it begins to make a a more significant difference. So good tires promote confidence, good meaning, good traction. Mm -hmm. What does that look like with actual tread? Well, it's not difficult to look at a tire and assess whether that tire will have good grip in an off-road environment. Off-road being rocks, mud, loamy dirt, hard-packed dirt, uh, sand. So look at the tire. If it looks gnarly, it probably has pretty good traction. If it's humming and whining on the road, it probably has pretty good traction. Uh, So the brand of tire, I mean, it's like the brand of oil. People can be all over the place on it. But I say use your judgment to date And then you're going to wear your tires out anyway. So buy a tire that errs on the side of being better for the type of environment you're about to encounter. If you're about to do a backcountry discovery route, then get a tire that, I mean, if it only lasts 3,000 miles, so what? The BDR is going to be, you know, uh, somewhere from 800 to 1,500 miles probably. So just buy a tire that's going to hold and listen to it on the road or put in your earbuds and uh, your confidence level will be higher not to mention the reality will be better for you because you've got a good aggressive tire. Sometimes you find someone who's an experienced rider riding on a a, a much less uh, aggressive tire, like closer to that. If we go back to the ratios, the 50, 50 tire, and they'll say they love that tire. I think that's almost a bit of a disservice to those who aren't that high level rider, because it's sort of like showing up for a mountain climb with running shoes, maybe a good climber, they could do it anyway. But somebody who isn't, that can make the difference of, of uh, making it or not making it. And I, I think that's really important for us to remember when we're looking at or considering what sort of tread pattern we want. And I like what you said. I mean, you, you're going to wear them out anyway. You may as well try and, and find what's going to work best for you. Yeah, and it's good to experiment. And for that very reason, uh, you know, uh, people sometimes run a less aggressive tire because they want, you know, what are you wanting from your tire? Do you want to be able to spin and slide and do fancy, fun things uh, on gravel and dirt? Well, if you've got a real grippy, aggressive tire, it's harder to, say, do an elephant turn, for example, where you you skid uh, bringing the tire around halfway through the turn, and then you accelerate spinning the tire the other half uh, through the turn. So if you've got a street tire, it's going to be a lot easier to make it turn like that. Uh, so whereas with a, 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 a really grippy tire, it, it tends to, to not want to break loose. Elephant turn? Is that your term? Oh, in the BMW GS Trophy, there is a competition called the Elephant Turn. Mm. It was introduced to us in 2010 in South Africa, Swaziland, and Mozambique, wherever it was that we were at the time. 
one of the competitions was to accelerate. So you started at a, at a predetermined point. They would start a stopwatch. You would accelerate uh, maybe, oh, 200 feet. And then you would have to pivot around an obstacle and come back the other way. And the premise was that you showed up, uh, or an elephant showed up on this trail that you were riding down at a moderate rate of speed. You need to exit stage left, <laughs> go 180 degrees and get back. So you back the bike in by skidding the rear tire, and you do that for about the first half of this 180. So call it 90 degrees through the turn, uh, clutch in, uh, you know, the bike is leaned over and sliding, and then you rev the engine, uh, pop the clutch, and continue with that tire spinning. But now it's not a brake skid. Now it's a, an accelerating uh, wheel spin skid as you head the other direction. And called an elephant turn. Some called it a bear turn. <laughs> Could be a crocodile turn. I suppose it depends on what your right. nemesis is. I haven't heard it called that before. It's it's a fun turn to do. That's for sure. I can, I, I can do that all day. It's yeah. A, a bit of a hooligan thing. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So um, I was going to mention uh, about the, um, the tires, the tread pattern, just before we finish off with that. If you look at people who are after maximum traction, it'd be the off-road riders, the off-road racers, rather. The off-road racers, they all run knobbies. And, and and I mentioned the stiletto heel and how it will puncture a floor, whereas the same foot in a in a soft sole shoe or a broad sole shoe, even a hard sole shoe, but in a larger area, will spread out the weight and of course not damage the floor, not leave a mark. That's kind of what knobbies are doing, aren't they? That they're sort of puncturing the dirt, or at least attempting to. Yeah, that's the idea. Uh, it's to to get as much uh, um, what would you call it. Uh, Grip, that's not the right word, but puncturing. Uh, so to use Pounds your per term. square inch, traction. Yeah, you, you want that tire to, to uh, invade the surface as much as it can and dig into it. And you know, we call it making brownies when we're doing a loose hill start, for example. So we stop on the side of a hill and we move the bike fore and aft, maybe a couple of swings to feel out the, the, the ground surface and to, to initiate a little bit of uh, kinetic energy, a, kind of a pendulum action. So we move the bike fore and aft, fore and aft, and then the third motion forward, we continue ahead and we stand up and we, we move on up the hill. Well, the idea is that on this loose hill start, we've developed this kinetic energy. It's, it's like trying to throw a, uh, a kettlebell we tried to throw it stiff-armed from one, you know, being stationary by our side, slinging it forward. We're not going to get it very far versus if we swing it a couple of times and then release it, we it goes much farther. So we do this with a motorcycle. And if we do it well and we don't spin that tire, when we look at the ground beneath us, we call it making brownies. You've made brownies. You see our, our large, big block prints of the tire pressed into the surface of the ground. It might be a, a quarter inch. It might be three quarters of an inch, depending on the length of the knob and how soft the ground is. But the more engagement that we get without spinning that tire, the better a job we did. So that's the, uh, that's what that large, no or excuse me, that uh, pointy knobby would do. Smaller knobs, deeper knobs, they tend to engage the terrain more than a, uh, a street tire or a large block knob. I want to I want to talk about the pressures you're running now. So first of all, before we get into the actual pressures, do you have one pressure that you set for just about all your off-road riding, or do you set according to terrain? I'm a little bit lazy, and I also find that skill trumps tire pressures. I don't want to create a disadvantage for myself by running, you know, 40 pounds in my tires. 
nor do I want my tires to wear out prematurely um, or be compromised in their ability to hold the road real well. So most of my riding conditions, I'll run around 25, 26 PSI in the rear, and I'll run around 28 to 30 in the front. And I get average wear out of my tires. So uh, that's, that's pretty much where I leave them. Now, if I'm going to be traveling on the road long distance, like I traveled out across uh, Colorado and out to Oregon and back to, to uh, South Dakota back in the summer, um, I ran much higher tire. I say much higher. I ran about another four PSI on both front and rear than that because I was going to be on the road for long times. So that's going to uh, uh, create more heat and I'm carrying more load. So I had to be prepared for that. But otherwise, I don't, I don't lower the tire pressure much more than that. You run 25, 26 pounds in the rear, 28, 30 pounds in the front. Is that for everything? Hard packed dirt, soft traction, grass, mud, sand, rocks? Yeah, it pretty much is. Now, is, is there a better pressure? Can you go to a tire pressure that's going to be going to give you a, a, a better result? Yeah. Uh, you know, sand, for example. We we run those pressures that I mentioned for sand, but if you get into a situation where you've got really deep sand and you're stuck and you've got to get that motorcycle out, or you find that your skill is is not up to standard, or your your fatigue factor is getting really high, you need an edge in that sand. That's the time to go ahead and reduce that pressure and really really low. If you're running a tubeless tire, uh, you might. You might run down to 8 or 10 PSI. You can run less, but now you're risking the tire coming off the, off the bead, and, and now you've got a real problem. Mm-hmm. But you can go very, very low, so that tire looks almost flat, and that wide footprint that uh, is going to help keep that tire on the surface of the sand and make it easier to ride. Uh, I was in a situation, and I think we've had some of this discussion before. It might have been a year or two ago, but... Uh, out in Trona Pinnacles in California, uh, I had ridden into an area that had signs saying, don't go here, deep sand, you're going to get stuck, you'll probably die. And I thought, well, I'm a great rider. I just won my place on Team USA for the GS Trophy. I can handle this. And I had a loaded GSA with uh, spare tires. My road tires uh, were on the back of my bike. Hadn't changed them back yet. And I, uh, I rode off into this deep area, I had big aluminum boxes on the bike, which I don't run off-road anymore. And I got stuck. I mean, I was badly stuck all the way down to the, to the uh, skid plate on the motorcycle and couldn't get it to stay unstuck. It just kept repeatedly burying itself. And I was getting fatigued. It was over 100 degrees. And man, I got to get out of here. Well, I unloaded the motorcycle and I aired down to, uh, I think, around 6 or 8 PSI, both the front and the rear. And I rode the motorcycle out. It just rode out. It made all the difference. It just all of a sudden got up on top and and stayed up on top. It was the difference. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it just fixed it. So, uh, you know, I was with my boys once, uh, speaking of the the extreme degree that tire pressure can matter. Uh, I was with my sons. We were in Moab, Utah. They were young. I had a Jeep CJ7. And it had a stock motor in it, and uh, I had 31 by 11, 50 by 15 tires. They weren't super huge tires, or 30, excuse me, 32 by 11, 50 by 15 tires. And we were surrounded by people with these giant, uh, powerful motors and loud exhausts and big tires. And there was this huge sand 
hill or dune that they were climbing or attempting to climb. And I walked up to my Jeep and I had my sons uh, help me. I said, guys, let's start letting the tire pressure down. We let the tires down to, uh, I think it was about eight or 10 PSI. And while we were doing that, one of these powerful Jeeps beside us started up this hill and, and got stuck. He went maybe 100 feet up and he got stuck. And then he backed up a little bit and popped the clutch and, and bang, this loud you know, breaking sound in his drive shaft literally fell underneath the Jeep and he rolled backwards down the sand hill, leaving this trail of gear oil where he had busted out, the, I think, the back of his transfer case. And this thing probably had 35-inch tires on it, uh, maybe bigger, maybe 40s. And when the boys got done and I got done with the tire pressures on my Jeep, this little six-cylinder carbureted stock Jeep, I put it in low range and I started climbing this hill. And I made it to within probably 50, 60 feet of the top and it began to dig in a little bit. And I stopped and I backed up. I took a slightly different route and I finished the climb got the rest of the way over the top. Of course, my boys were so proud and they still talk about this today. Mm -hmm. But tire pressure, that's the only thing I did. These other guys were running quite a bit more. Uh, my Jeep was fairly light. It hardly spun. It hardly had the power to spin, but it just drove to the top of this hill because of that tire pressure. And since then, I've run across people who were stuck in the sand, beaches, uh, wherever it might be. And they're waiting for a, a wrecker or wanting to call a wrecker. And I'm like, hey, let's air it out. You know, let's get this done. And uh, we did, and, and they were able to drive out and successfully escape. So tire pressure works the same for a motorcycle that it does for a Jeep in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful not to spin it off the rim, uh, or if you're running a tube in that tire to spin the tire and, and rip out your valve stem, because now you're really stuck if you do that. So there are considerations for that, but in an extreme condition, extreme circumstance, you can do things with extreme low pressure that you couldn't do otherwise. So there's a, there's a time for that. Are there any spots or, or any situations where lowering tire pressure doesn't help? I'm sure there are. And I'm trying to think of that circumstance. Um, as far as doesn't help, if you're on moderate terrain, it just may not make enough difference to be worth doing. So let's say, for example, we're running road pressures and we decide to do a section of the Utah backcountry discovery route. We've got a loaded motorcycle and say, for example, we're going to climb Hurrah Pass and maybe run back to some of the caves and then come back. Well, it probably doesn't help enough to be an advantage to stop and lower your tire pressure Ride Hurrah Pass, which is a moderate pass. It's not super difficult. It's got a few ledges, especially coming back, but your bike is going to climb them just fine. Um, and as I said early on, skill trumps pressure. Skill trumps tire pressure. So you take two guys. One has lowered to the absolute optimum lowest pressure that he can to uh, enhance that motorcycle's grip and suspension and all the things you want to do with lower pressure. And then right beside that same individual, and that person has a lower skill level, beside that individual, you have a very skillful rider, then the skillful rider is probably still going to do better than that other rider who had lowered his pressure. Mm -hmm. Just before we, we wrap this up, I want to ask you about rocks. This is a, a big concern for adventure riders. When you hear people talk about tire pressures, you'll often, and you, you said, you mentioned it this a couple of times here while we talked, about the tire pressure being so low in the front tire that you end up bending a rim. 
So how do we mitigate that? How do we know how low we can go without bending a rim? And I know this is one of those questions. Yeah, bend it, then back it off of here. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was in Arizona riding with uh, some really skillful riders. One was Ian Glenn. Ian works for Turotech uh, USA out in the Seattle, Washington area. We've had him on the show, actually. Yeah, exactly. So Ian is, uh, he's a very soft-spoken, underrated rider. He's one of the best riders that I know. And Ian's only about five foot, barely anything over uh, also. And he rides the tallest of motorcycles. But uh, I was riding with Ian and another group of, of guys, and uh, we were cooking. I mean, we're riding pretty fast. We're mostly on 1,200 GSs. I think might have been an 800 or two along with us. And they were going so fast, and we're cooking these turns, too, in this, uh, this Arizona gravel rock terrain that when we stopped for a break, I thought, man, I got to air down. I mean, I was running about 34, 35 PSI in the front. I aired down to 25 PSI. This, these were in the early days. And, you know, of course, we're always all still learning, but I, mm -hmm. I had a, a leap of learning to take place here. Uh, I aired down, and Ian says, what are you airing down to? And I said, 25 PSI. He says, I wouldn't do that. And I said, well, man, I'm slipping everywhere, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm not liking the way this bike is handling. Well, I mean, they were so skillful. And I was a good rider, but these guys were really good. So I was looking for the edge. And he said, you're going to rip a tube, or you're, you're going to rip a tire. And uh, you're going to pinch flat, pinch flat a tire. And I said, it's not going to pinch flat. It's tubeless. He goes, okay. I mean, Ian's just, as I said, very soft-spoken, kind of matter-of-fact. And he's not going to argue with me about my own foolishness. And we didn't go another half a mile. And that front tire did the big whoosh. And I pulled up and stopped. And I had pinch flatted that tire, ripped the side right out of it, an inch gash, mm. and ended up pulling the tire and putting a boot in it and putting a tube in it and uh, sewing it up with safety wire. And I, I finished that ride and, and rode it home. But it, it, Ian very graciously also didn't say much as I was making that repair. The, the, the <laughs> statement had been made. I had aired down too much. So I would have been better off in maybe taking that tire to about 30 PSI, which would have been sufficient for all but the hardest of rocks and still been a little bit flexible to give me a little bit of give and then learning to ride better. Is there a front tire pressure limit cutoff point that you would say never run lower than this if you're running rocks? Yeah, I haven't really applied a number to that, but really you're not going to benefit enough uh, on the front to lower it anything, I think, below probably that 25 to 28 PSI. And when you get down to 25, you start getting in the zone that I was at when Ian warned to me. So I typically keep it up around 28 plus. And if it, the tire is sketching too much sideways, then I'm asking too much of the motorcycle. Mm. Okay. So you're focusing on that rear wheel, which is our traction tire, and getting that pressure down and, and working with that rather than worrying so much about the front? Well, I'm, I'm, if I'm trying to get traction, I'm lowering it more on the rear because the traction for driving, for accelerating, is going to help me more than the traction for braking. Mm -hmm. Now, if I've got a really, uh, oh, say, an embedded rock ledge series to ride down, then I will benefit more, uh, quite a bit from the front tire pressure being down just a little. In this conversation, we risk thinking too much about tire pressure. We risk worrying too much about tire pressure. These, this is all good information to have, to understand the, um, 
the changes that occur on the motorcycle when you change your tire pressure? Uh, is there an optimum tire pressure? Someone who races or someone who uh, rides big, spot, big bikes in trials competitions more than I have might be better equipped to come up with a number for you. But I think the advantage for most people is to understand that nuance and to experiment with that nuance, erring on the side of a little bit higher pressure so you don't damage your rim. It's expensive. Woody, Woody of Woody's Wheels in Denver, Colorado, uh, loves it. <laughs> when I run too low of tire pressure, <laughs> I send him the rim and he sends me one. Uh, I send him a square when he sends me back a round one, you know. <laughs> was Bill Dragoo from Dragoo Adventure Rider Training. Their website is BillDragoo.com. And of course, we've got that link in the show notes for this episode. Now to wrap things up here, I just want to emphasize that both Chris and Bill recommended lowering that rear tire pressure to get more traction. That makes sense. And then you can use a higher pressure in the front to help reduce the risk of a pinch flat or bent rim. Bill says skills trump tire pressure, so work on your skills. Chris says take the time to experiment by varying the tire pressure, see what it feels like, and then when you got something that feels and works for you, check the tire pressure and record it as your personal setting for that terrain, riding speed, and load. We also mentioned compromise, and you know, the, the entire adventure motorcycle is a huge compromise. So understand that you may want to run a higher pressure to protect your rim and, and not get a flat, then maybe your buddy who's running a much lower pressure, and it could be just that they're riding different than you. Neither is wrong. So if you want, you can begin with your buddy's pressure settings and then adjust to find your personal ideal balance or compromise in tire pressure. And then once you've got that, you're all set. And now you can take what you've learned today and use it as an, as an excuse to get out there and ride your bike. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks of course to our producer Elizabeth Martin and to you the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Now don't forget we have another show called ARR Raw. It comes out once a month. You need to subscribe separately for that and like Adventure Rider Radio you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. And if you haven't done it already we would love to get a five star review from you on iTunes or wherever it is you find your podcast. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name's Jim Martin. Thank you very much for being a part of this. I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 